Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. It is Acts chapter 4 where we want to begin. Acts chapter 4. And in fact, we'll be in the book of Acts all morning long. And so if you'd get a Bible out and just camp there in the book of Acts, Acts 4 will be our starting point as we get ready to spend these next few minutes together in the inspired Word of God. As you're finding Acts chapter 4, let me just say a quick word of welcome and say how glad I am to see you all this beautiful fall morning, this beautiful Lord's Day morning. What a wonderful number we have in attendance. So gracious and, and happy to have our visitors with us today. And uh, glad to have our fall break travelers all back with us safe and sound. We missed you last week, but we're glad that we're all able to be here today. Uh, it's just a joy to be together with the people of God and people who are seeking after God as we worship Him and as we reverence His Word. Speaking of His Word, let's just go ahead and read it in Acts chapter 4, talking here about Peter and John. Acts chapter 4 tells us, beginning in verse 8, Acts 4 and verse 8, the Bible says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, to this Jewish council, he said, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by Him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. What is courage? What does it mean to be courageous? Do you know anybody who is bold and courageous? Have you ever seen someone demonstrate great courage and boldness and bravery? Maybe when we think about those kinds of ideas, maybe the first image that comes to our mind is maybe our soldiers. Our soldiers that are serving overseas, serving in dangerous places like like the Middle East and in Iraq. Those soldiers who so bravely they fight for freedom and who put their lives on the line in order to protect this country. Or maybe a little bit closer to home when we think about courage and bravery, we think about our, think about our firefighters and our policemen, those people who put on those uniforms and day in and day out they risk their lives for people, for the safety and for the well-being of the people in their communities. Or maybe in a slightly different fashion when we think about courage in this way, maybe we think about somebody who has a terminal disease, maybe someone who has cancer. And in the face of cancer, in the face of this deadly disease, they fight courageously, bravely. They take that medicine and take those treatments and do all of that stuff day in and day out. They refuse to give up because they face that disease with boldness. Now while those are all wonderful examples of courage and bravery and boldness, in Acts chapter 4, Luke wants us to not think about others who have bravery and courage and boldness. In Acts chapter 4, what Luke wants us to think about is is ourselves. He wants us to think about us. Am I courageous? Do I have boldness? Am I a person like Peter and John who is bold for Christ? In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John demonstrate, I believe, just pure, raw 
courage. They stood before this council. And this council was a powerful council. This was an influential council. This was the very council that was able to manipulate Pilate just a few weeks prior into crucifying Jesus Christ. And now this Jewish council has become so annoyed by Peter and John and all the rest of the apostles, how they're preaching and teaching about Jesus. They've now arrested these men and they've said to them, You hush up. You pipe down. You quit talking about Jesus and Him being raised from the dead and all of this kind of stuff. If you don't stop it, there's going to be trouble. Peter and John, they look that counsel in the eyes and they say, drop down in this very same chapter, look at verse 19. They say to them, verse 19, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. You try to hush us up, it's not gonna happen. That, my friends, is the very definition. That is a picture of boldness. And I'll remind you that Peter is the very same guy who just a few weeks prior, whenever he was asked, hey, you're one of those guys. Aren't you one of those apostles? Peter is the very guy who said not once, not twice, but three times, uh, uh, no, 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 that's not me. But now, Some seven weeks later, with courage and great boldness, Peter, along with John, rebukes the Sanhedrin council. Luke's message is clear as he writes the book of Acts. His message is Christianity runs on courage. Christians are bold. And that is precisely what we want to talk about for these few minutes this morning. If we're going to restore New Testament Christianity... If we're going to be like that church we read about in the book of Acts, if we're going to be Christians like these Christians, then one of the things that you and I need to find in our lives is courage. We must develop boldness. And this morning I want to show you exclusively from the book of Acts what that means and what that does not mean so that all of us will leave here today with a greater desire and a greater resolve to be bold for Christ. And the place where that needs to begin is to just do a little bit of reading. We need to just take notice of all the boldness that takes place throughout the book of Acts. Because what happened here at the beginning of Acts chapter 4, it is not an isolated occurrence. This kind of thing happens repeatedly in the book of Acts. Would you just drop down in the very same chapter? Let's just start there. Look at this prayer that was offered later on in Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 verse 29. They prayed, they said, Now Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. That's a wonderful thing to pray for. And in fact, the Lord answered that prayer. Verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. How about in the very next chapter, in Acts chapter 5? 
In Acts chapter 5, we read there about these very same men. Acts 5 verse 18 says that on another occasion they arrested the apostles and they put them in prison. Those that were in my Bible class this morning, we read and studied these very verses. Verse 19, But during the night an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, verse 20, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. The very next day, when the prison keepers and the guards and all of those authority figures come in, verse 23 tells us that they said, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look! Those men whom you put in prison, they are standing in the temple and teaching the people. These guys are actually doing what we told them not to do. Drop down to verse 28. They said, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Verse 29, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. That is great boldness. Turn to chapter 7 now, in Acts chapter 7. In Acts chapter 7, hopefully you recognize this is the great sermon in which Stephen preached. Stephen is brought before this council. And ultimately, by the end of chapter 7, he's going to be stoned to death. But in between those two occurrences, what occurs is a wonderful and powerful demonstration of boldness. Stephen boldly proclaims, verses 2 all the way through 53, boldly proclaims the Word of God. In fact, I'll show you boldness. Look at the end of that sermon. Acts 2 verse 51, or Acts 7 verse 51, he says to these people, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Boy, I tell you what, that right there takes great courage to say those kinds of hard truths to a group of hard, hard people. Look in the very next chapter. This persecution with Stephen, it doesn't stop there. Acts chapter 8 verse 1 tells us that Saul approved of Stephen's execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. You'd think that all of this stuff would just put an end to Christianity. Not so, verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. That takes courage under the fear of imprisonment and death. We're going to keep on telling about Jesus. How about in chapter 9? In Acts chapter 9, this is the story of Barnabas when he finds Saul. Saul has now been converted. He's a Christian. Acts 9 verse 27 says, But Barnabas took Saul and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. Turn over a few chapters to Acts 13 now. In Acts chapter 13, this is what we know as the first missionary journey. And during this journey while they are here at, at Ephesus, I believe, 
The Jews, they start causing all kinds of trouble. Excuse me, they're not at Ephesus. In Acts chapter 13, they're in a completely different place. They're in Antioch of Pisidia. In Acts chapter 13 and in verse 46, you've got Jews causing trouble. They're trying to stir up the crowd, trying to cause all kinds of problems. Acts 13 verse 46 says, Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly. And they said, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we turn now to the Gentiles. Look over maybe across the page in Acts 14. In Acts 14 and in verse 3, Luke records there, Acts 14 verse 3, Paul and Barnabas and Iconium, they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, bore witness to the word of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Turn over a few pages now to Acts 17. In Acts 17, in what we know as the beginning of the second missionary journey, Paul is here in Athens, and he is brought to the Areopagus. He's brought before this group of people. He's brought before a bunch of pagan people. Acts 17 verse 19 says that these people said, Hey, we're interested in knowing the stuff that you know about Jesus, this unknown God. Tell us about Him. Tell us what you happen to know. What then follows in Acts 17 all the way down through verse 31 is Paul preaches boldly about the God of heaven and about judgment and about repentance, speaking boldly the things of God. In Acts chapter 19, this is the third missionary journey. In Acts 19 and in verse 8, this time we are in Ephesus. In Acts 19 and in verse 8, it says that Paul entered the synagogue and for three months he spoke boldly reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. Jump all the way now to the very end of the book in Acts chapter 28. In Acts chapter 28, as we come here to the end of this wonderful book of courage and boldness, the very final note in Acts, Paul is brought as a prisoner to Rome. And we read there in Acts 28 and verse 30 that he lived there for two whole years at his own expense. and He welcomed all who came to him proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. There is no question, after looking at that thumbnail sketch of the book of Acts, there is no question that if you're going to be a Christian, you will need courage in your character. There is a holy boldness to the followers of Jesus Christ that was possessed in New Testament times, and you and I must desire that in our own lives even today. Yet even as I say that, I am afraid, I'm afraid that when we talk about boldness, how that comes across in people's ears is, well, that's just kind of a pipe dream. I'm afraid that boldness is kind of similar to patience. You know about patience? We want patience. We know we ought to have some patience, but patience just... It just seems so elusive. It just seems so hard to get. I just don't know that I have the patience to actually get me some patience. And I think that's kind of how we feel about boldness. We know we want it. We know that we need it. We see it in the Bible. But I just don't think I'm really going to be able to have that. And the reason that maybe we feel that way about boldness is because maybe we just have some wrong ideas about boldness. Can I just say right here a couple of things that boldness for Jesus Christ, what that is not. Let me just dispel a couple of wrong ideas. First and foremost, as we look at the book of Acts, boldness does not mean that you're going to be foolish and going to be reckless. You know, sometimes when we talk about the courage of Christians who lived in New Testament times, 
We kind of make it almost sound like they just always went forward. They always just pressed forward. That they never ever retreated. That they never ever backed up. That it was always just go, 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 go all of the time. But that's an incomplete description of those New Testament Christians. That's an incomplete picture. Would you go back to Acts chapter 9 again? Look at Acts 9. Talking about Saul. He's still Saul at this point. We know him as Paul. But Saul is converted. and He is bold. And he is wanting to preach. And he does. Acts 9 tells us. Notice what happens in Acts 9. Look at verse 22. Saul increased all the more in strength. And he confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Verse 23 now. But when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. Verse 25. So Saul went out right in the middle of them and he said, Bring it on! Is that what your Bible says? That is not what the Bible says. Verse 25 says, But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. What did Saul do? Saul left town. Because these people were going to assassinate him. In fact, the very same thing happens when he ends up coming to Jerusalem. Drop down to the very same chapter, verse 28. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and he disputed amongst the Hellenists. But they were seeking to kill him. And so when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. This pattern actually repeats itself several times in Paul's life. That whenever there's trouble and there's difficulty and people are seeking to kill him, lots of times what that means is that means that Paul gets out of town. And I think that that's important for us to see. That provides a a balancing note, if you will, to all those verses we just read a few moments ago. It's easy to kind of have this image in our mind of Paul and of all those apostles as just being utterly fearless all the time. That they just spit in the face of danger. That they looked their enemies right in the eye and they said, you come on, you just bring it on, we're not afraid of you at all. But actually... That's not true. There is a time to go forward. But you know what? There is also a time to be let down the wall in a basket. And if there is a fine line between bravery and recklessness, the truth is Paul and the apostles are well on this side of that line. They are careful not to be foolish and reckless. And what I'm saying to you this morning is, is that just because you're a Christian, That doesn't mean that you have to act foolishly and recklessly and end up endangering yourself and your life and the lives of the people that you love and your family. And I want to add to that as well. That boldness in the book of Acts does not mean that we're going to accost strangers with the gospel. Here's where we usually get nervous. Because as soon as a preacher gets up and starts talking about boldness and how we need to be more bold for Jesus Christ, Everybody just knows that any minute now, Josh is going to tell us that if you're really, really brave, if you're really, really bold and really, really courageous, then what that means is that means you're going to go down to the square down in the middle of downtown. You're going to stand up on the water fountain and get you a megaphone and you're just going to start preaching the gospel to everybody who passes by. 
Or if you are really bold and really, really brave, what you do is you grab the first stranger you saw and you shake them by the shirt collar and you say, are you ready to meet God? If you died right now, would you go to heaven? My friends, that is not what courage is all about. That is not what courage is defined as in the book of Acts. They didn't do that kind of thing in the book of Acts. There is no record of that kind of thing going on amongst the early Christians. In fact, I believe when we define boldness in that way, that that is a very dangerous definition of boldness. And why? Because if we define boldness in that way, most of us are going to end up feeling like a failure as a Christian. Present company included. Because I'm not bold enough to go around and grab people by the shirt collar and total strangers and ask them if they're ready to meet the Lord. Now, I certainly understand. Let me qualify all of that. I certainly understand that we are always looking for opportunities to talk to people about Jesus. We are. Our antennas are just always up. We're always looking for a chance to do that. We're always looking for opportunities to to invite people to come to services, to invite people to have a Bible study, to listen to our sermon podcast, to come to the gospel meeting next week. We're always looking for opportunities to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world, to influence people and to point them to the cross of Jesus. That is who we are and that is what we do as Christians. But in Acts, I'll say again, evangelism does not mean accosting total strangers. Yes, I realize that in Acts chapter 8, somebody's going to say this before I walk out of the building, so I'll go ahead and address it. I realize that in Acts 8, Philip does run up to an Ethiopian man who he does not even know and has never even met before. But he ran up to that man and talked to him. Why? Because God told him to. And in the book of Acts, whenever Paul arrives in a new city and in a new environment, where does he go? Does he go stand down on the street corner and just shout at everybody that goes by, Repent! Hey you! Hey you! There, you repent! You repent! That's not what Saul does. Saul, Paul, what he does is when he comes into a new city, he goes to the synagogue. He goes to the place where he knows there's going to be people who are like-minded. People who are seeking God. People who are religious. People who have an understanding about the Scriptures. People who he can talk to about the Bible. In Acts... We do not read about big door-knocking campaigns. In Acts, we do not read about grabbing people who do not want to listen to the gospel, but somehow we force them to listen to the gospel. That is not in the book of Acts. Now I say again, that doesn't mean that it's wrong to have a door-knocking campaign or to share the gospel with a stranger in that way. That doesn't mean that we should never do those kinds of things. I think the Lord wants all of that as possible. But how in the world did the essence of courageous Christianity. How did the essence of boldness come to mean something in our minds that first century Christians did not do? Luke is not telling us that if you want to be a bold Christian, that what you better do is you better stand up on your chair in the middle of the food court at the mall and just start proclaiming the gospel to everybody. Even if they're not interested, you just keep on shoving it down their throats anyway. No, that's not what Luke is telling us about boldness. Those are false ideas. Those are false definitions of boldness. Now, when we understand that, when we are able to take those false ideas off of the board, I think that begins to kind of help us to start to see what courageous, bold behavior for Jesus Christ, what it really is. We're able to start seeing it with a fresh set of eyes. You want to know what boldness really is in the Bible? You want to know what boldness for Christ really is in the book of Acts? 
The book of Acts shows us that boldness, first of all, is when we speak the truth of God's Word, even in the face of opposition. That's what boldness means in Acts. And I can show you that in chapter 4. Would you go back to where we started? In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John, they're before the Sanhedrin council. And the Bible says in Acts 4 and in verse 18, So they called them, and they charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Verse 19, But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Now right there, that's the essence of boldness. Luke is showing us that the gospel will go on even when the enemies of Christ try to stop it. Look in chapter 13 again. In chapter 13, that's that first missionary journey. We read verse 46 a little bit earlier, but back up a little bit. Look at verse 44. Acts 13, verse 44. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy, and they began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. They're trying to shut this thing down. We're not going to let this guy do any of this Jesus talk. Paul and Barnabas respond in verse 46, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, But since you thrust to decide and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. You're trying to shut this thing down? You can't shut this thing down. We are going to speak God's Word. And I want you to please notice here in Acts 13 and verse 46 that Paul and Barnabas do not keep on trying with people who do not want to listen. That's that false definition of courage that we've already dealt with a moment ago where we end up becoming almost like an obnoxious jerk who won't take no for an answer. No, in Acts 13, this audience says, we don't want this. And Paul and Barnabas say, fine. Fine. But you can't stop us from preaching and sharing the good news of the gospel with people who do want this. We will not be quiet. We will not hush up talking about Jesus. And that's boldness. And that's the kind of boldness that you and I need more of today. Think for example, think for example about maybe being at the break room at work. Maybe everybody's in there eating lunches during the lunch hour. And somebody just, you know, starts conversation and they ask, hey, what, what, did you do yesterday? And you say, well, yesterday, well, Sunday was, I, I was at church, went to church yesterday, went to church two times actually yesterday, I was at church. And they say, wow, that's, that's great. You go to church. I, you know what? I've been meaning to get back in church. I've been thinking about that. I've been talking to my wife about that and our kids. And you know, Well, we, we need to get into church. And really been giving that some thought. And so finally you say, well, hey, you know, we got a great church here at Lakeside. You, you ought to come and worship with us sometime. Just come, you know, check things out. Got a great group of people here. Just trying to serve the Lord. Just trying to do things according to the Bible. Just a wonderful group of, of God people. You ought, you ought to come and visit with us. But then as that conversation is going on, things seem to be going well. Maybe somebody at the other end of the table who doesn't like church, who doesn't like Christianity, they overhear the conversation that's going on and they chime in and they say, you know what, Christians, Christians are just so judgmental. You all are just a bunch of holier-than-thou so-and-sos. Christianity, that's just for stupid idiots. Why would anybody be a part of that? Awkward. 
really makes things awkward, doesn't it? Things now are very, very tense at that table. What's going to happen now? Well, you know what? The temptation is for us to say, well, guess we just won't talk about church anymore. Guess I won't ever say anything about Christianity in the break room. But you know what Acts shows us? Acts shows us that Christians will not be stopped. People who are bold for Christ are going to speak to that person at the other end of the table and they're going to say, well, you know what? That may not be for you. You may not be interested in that, but this guy right here, he is interested in that, and we're going to keep talking about it. This conversation's going to go on whether you're going to participate in it or not. Young people, that kind of scenario plays out. I can remember that scenario playing out many times when I was coming through school. When that scenario happens at school, you're talking with your friend about religious things, talking to them about church, talking to them about the Lord. And somebody kind of chimes in. They just want to kind of shut the whole thing down. Oh, church, that's for morons. Why do people even go and do that? It's just so dumb. Young people, what are you going to do? What are you going to do in that moment? You're going to show some courage? You're going to stand up? You're going to stand up and be counted for the Lord? You're going to speak the truth even in the face of harsh opposition? Or are we going to put our heads in the sand? We're going to be derailed and be silent? In our world today, you will find plenty of people who are ready to announce their hatred for Jesus Christ, their hatred for Christianity, their their hatred for all things that are wholesome and good and right. You'll find people who will say things like, you all are just intolerant. You all just hate gay people. You all just think you're the only ones going to heaven. On and on and on it goes. You know what? That makes conversations really, really tough. That makes relationships strained. And the easy thing for us to decide in those situations is to say, well, that was, whew, that was really unpleasant. And so I'll just, uh, I'll just not say anything anymore. I just won't bring that up. I won't talk about that when I'm around those kinds of people. But in Acts, Luke shows us that Christians who have boldness, they keep pressing on. They keep their cool. They keep their calm. But they keep pressing the gospel forward. Courageous Christians meet opposition head on. And they do that by speaking the truth of God's Word. Now, closely connected to that is the fact that Acts shows us that boldness for Christ means we're going to speak the truth even when it makes people uncomfortable. Look at Acts 15. I'll give you an example of this. In Acts 15, this is the Jerusalem Conference. This is this gathering of people that had been called together. There was the, uh, the, the, the elders there at Jerusalem and the apostles. They'd come together to address this controversy that had come up about whether or not Gentiles needed to be circumcised in order to please God, in order to become Christians. There were specifically, verse 5 tells us, there were Pharisees. These were Christian Pharisees, if that's even possible. But these were Pharisees who believed that folks had to keep the entire law of Moses if they wanted to be a Christian. And so the apostles and the elders of Jerusalem, they came together to address this situation. And in Acts 15 and in verse 7, Peter gets up and he says, we're not having any of this. Acts 15 verse 7, Peter says, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Peter says, we cannot bind the law of Moses on these people. That's not right. Peter's going to have none of that. 
Even though he knows full well that part of that audience there in Jerusalem were these Christians. These Pharisee Christians. And saying that's going to make them really, really uncomfortable. That's going to really perturb them. That's going to make them squirm a little bit. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter to Peter. Because speaking the truth here, that is more important than how those people feel. We'll see that again. Look in Acts 24. I'll show you this on a very personal and direct level. In Acts 24, Paul is in chains. And he comes before the governor Felix. And there we read in Acts 24 and in verse 24. Acts 24 verse 24. After some days, Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was Jewish. He sent for Paul. Heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed. Can I tell you why it says that Felix was alarmed? You see there in verse 24 that it says his wife was Drusilla. History tells us about Drusilla. Felix talked Drusilla into leaving her husband and running off and marrying him. Felix had no right to be married to this woman. That relationship was adulterous and it was wrong. And so my question to you is, what do you think it means when Paul reasoned with him about righteousness, right living, and self-control and the judgment that is to come? Why do you think that Felix was alarmed when Paul talked about those things? I'll tell you why. Because Paul was driving that gospel message right into his heart, despite the very uncomfortable implications that it would have on Felix's life and on Felix's marriage. That, folks, is boldness. Boldness says we will not edit the truth in order to fit the audience. Boldness says we will not shave off those sharp corners of Christianity in order to make it more accommodating to everyone. Boldness says we will tell the truth of God's Word. And that means, that means that there may be occasions in our lives where we're going to have to just frankly say to somebody, hey, that marriage that you're in, that relationship that you have, just like Felix, it's not right. You don't have any right to be in that relationship. That may mean that we'll have to say without apology that you know what? The Bible never sanctions homosexuality. The Bible never sanctions homosexual marriage. It never has and it never will. Or that may mean as well that we'll have to say candidly, yes, I see that you go to church at that place. You do. You go to church regularly. But that church is not worshiping and practicing according to the New Testament pattern of Scripture. You see, there are plenty of times where if we tell people the truth, even if we do that kindly and in love, Ephesians chapter 4, 15, we're going to speak the truth and we're going to do that in love. But there are going to be occasions where people are going to get angry about that, no matter how kindly and lovingly we do that. They're going to get angry and they're going to get hostile. And in that moment, the temptation on our part will be very, very great to water down the gospel, to kind of start backpedaling a little bit. Maybe just start saying as little as possible. Maybe I'll say nothing. Maybe even qualify everything by saying, well, well, you know, who am I to judge? Somehow make the truth of God's Word a little bit more palatable, a little bit easier for that person to swallow. Acts shows us that courageous Christians don't do that. Just because the gospel makes you uncomfortable, 
That does not mean that I won't speak it. Christians who are bold for Christ, they're going to tell people the truth of God's Word. And they're going to do that every time. Now, as I think about both of those ideas, I think both of those ideas are very, very strong. I think that's what real boldness is all about. I think that's what's at its real core and its essence. Somebody would maybe then ask, maybe kind of you know, fretfully, Josh, where am I going to get that kind of boldness? You know, that's, that's tough stuff there. And I recognize that's not easy. That is tough stuff. Where am I going to get that? Where does that kind of courage come from? I got you covered. Actually, Acts has us covered. Acts shows us that boldness for Christ, first of all, it is the result of a deep-seated faith and conviction in the resurrection of Jesus. Go back to Acts 4 again. I'll just give you just one illustration of this. But it's repeated multiple times throughout Acts. In Acts 4, we're told that the apostles, Peter and John, they're arrested. They're arrested in verse 3. And then Peter's defense for why they were doing what they were doing, it's simple. Verse 10, Acts 4 verse 10, Peter says, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by Him this man is standing before you well. We're talking about cause and effect. Cause about this cause having this effect. The cause is Jesus' resurrection. And the effect is great courage. For Peter and John, as they talk about this, this is not a matter of opinion. This is not a matter of, well, you know, you believe what you believe, and, well, we just kind of think and believe what we sort of maybe kind of, you know, kind of sort of believe and think on our own. No. For Peter and John, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that's a fact. It is a reality. It is a fundamental, unalterable truth. It cannot be denied that Jesus came here. And He did live. And He did die. But that He rose from the dead. And that means as a result that He is the Messiah. That He is the Lord. That we must then obey and do what He says. We believe that with all of our hearts. And I need to be asking myself. You need to be asking yourself. Do I believe that with that same level of conviction that those men did? Do I really believe that? Because the truth is, when you believe that somebody beat death, that changes you. That changes everything about you. When I believe in the resurrection like those men did, then I will have courage because I cannot be silenced about the most important truth that the world has ever known. I've got to tell people that good news. And then secondly, courage comes from a conviction that God's authority is greater than any man's authority. Isn't that what Peter says in verse 19? Drop down to verse 19 again. Peter says, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, You must judge. Peter says, hey guys, you do what you got to do. If that's what you got to do, then that's what you got to do. And we're going to try to obey you and your laws all that we can, but we're going to obey God first. That's who's number one. Of course, that of course is followed in that very famous passage in chapter 5. In chapter 5 and verse 29, Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. Peter and those apostles, they believed that the ultimate authority, it rested with Almighty God. 
that all other powers on earth, they are subordinate to God. Which means that we must obey that ultimate authority of God above anyone else. Peter's saying, yeah, you guys are a power, but you are not the power. Yeah, you guys are a court, but you are not the supreme court. You know what? In a world today that seems to be just kind of going out of its way, more and more it's going out of its way, to kick down and to press down people of faith, we're going to have to decide. We're going to have to decide who it is that we want to please. We're going to have to decide who it is that ultimately we submit to. Are we submitting to the authority of men? Or will we submit to the authority of God? Back in 1933, there were churches in Germany. There were actually churches of Christ. Churches in Germany that were preaching and they were teaching the truth. But they found themselves in very, very hot water with the Nazi government. That government was fine with churches that would preach the gospel in a Nazi way. You say these things over here, but you also make sure you say and incorporate these ideas. But of course, they did not much care at all for churches that would do otherwise. Churches that would not speak the things that the Nazis wanted them to speak. Some of those churches that were bold and refused to compromise, they released the following statement. They said, we reject as false doctrine that there are areas of our life which do not belong to Jesus Christ, but to some other Lord. We reject that as false doctrine. That's boldness. Think about saying that to the Nazi government. That is a courage that comes from a conviction that we're going to answer to God. That's where this is all leading to. We're going to answer to God and we must obey God rather than man. And you and I need to be asking ourselves right now, who is our Lord? And do we see Him, if it's Jesus, do we see Him as Lord of all of our lives? Whose approval do we really want? When we have a deep-seated conviction in the resurrection of Jesus, when we know that we must answer to God as the ultimate and final authority, I'll tell you, we will not be nearly as concerned with what opposition is trying to do to us. Instead, we will, in fact, we can't even help but speak boldly for Jesus Christ. Now, I hope this morning that by talking about these things. By looking at the book of Acts, I hope that we have been greatly challenged by the record of our brothers and our sisters in Christ and what they did and what they stood for so very, very long ago. Those Christians were people of courage and bravery. Those are people who had boldness that if we're being totally honest, they had some boldness that you and I could use more of even today. And so let's follow their example. They've kind of already set the tone. They've set the pace for us. Let's be bold, as the wise man says, bold as lions. That's what the righteous are. They are bold as lions. Let's be bold for the cause of Jesus Christ. Now we concluded this morning by talking there about some convictions. As we extend the invitation of Jesus Christ, it's worth asking, do you have any convictions? And if you do have some convictions about the truth of Jesus' death and burial and resurrection. The question is, what are you doing with those convictions? 
Are you just sitting on them? Yeah, I believe that. I believe Jesus rose from the dead. I believe He's the Lord. But you're not really acting upon it. Not really living in accordance with that truth. Why is that? What's holding you up? What's preventing you from being a Christian, from serving the Lord? Let's have some boldness. It will take some courage on your part to stand before this good audience and confess your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. It'll take a little bit of boldness. It'll take a little bit of courage to let us go back there and trust me enough to dunk you under that water and bring you up safely to where you'll be able to breathe again. But you know what? We're ready to do that this morning. Ready to help you to become a child of God and begin serving Him boldly and courageously in the middle of a wicked, wicked world. Can we help you to do that today? Brother or sister, it may be that your courage, your boldness, it's waned. It's not been what it should be. And as a result, sin has entered into your life. Compromise, lukewarmness. You need to fix that. You need to repent. You need to come back to the Lord. Serve Him wholeheartedly, boldly, courageously, giving Him everything that you have. to Serve the Lord of lords and King of kings. If there's anyone here this morning, subject to the invitation of the Lord, you're ready to respond and to take decisive action. This is your moment. This is your time. Take advantage of it right now. Do that while we stand and while we sing.